Please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. We're down to two Sundays left in, as we, until we finish this epistle. just want to echo, thank Chuck for mentioning the Open Hearts, Open Homes ministry and how our church strives to be obedient to God in this area of, of caring for orphans. I believe it is, is so crucial that our church remain committed to caring for orphans for, for several reasons. One, because there's a, a great need to care for orphans. Chuck mentioned uh, 100, over 140 million orphans. If, if, you, uh, if I was a little braver this morning, I would be wearing a, a t-shirt. I, I purchased this t-shirt thinking maybe, maybe I'll wear it on a Sunday, but I don't, I'm not. Um, not even underneath this one. It, it, but it says, well, my wife's wearing one, it says 147 million orphans, and I think it's just a great reminder of the enormity of the, the orphan crisis. And so we, 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 it's important that our church care for orphans because there's a great need. It's also important that we care for orphans because God tells us to do so. It's important for us to, to care for orphans because there is great joy in being obedient to God, especially, I believe, in, in this area. And it's also important for us as a church to remain committed to caring for orphans because it proclaims the excellencies of, of God's grace. Jesus tells, tells in the Sermon of the Mount, he, he says, Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and, and glorify Father in heaven. And so we have this understanding that as we engage in, in ministry, it, it proclaims the grace that we've received and as others see us portraying that, that grace of God in our lives, God is, is glorified. And so I, I believe that this, among other ministries in our church, it's crucial. It's crucial that we remain committed to it. And so thank you. Thank Chuck again for his leadership of that ministry and the other members of that committee and, and all of those of you who've been involved in, in caring for orphans in a variety of ways. And I also would just commend you to, to look at that insert in your bulletin and, and uh, go to the table as you leave the service and and think about how God would, would have you care for the fatherless. All of us, all of us are called to do so. All of us are called to do so, and, and many of us will do so in a variety of different ways. Well, please stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6 and portions of this together. We're nearing our, our, the end of the epistles, I've already said, and, and we're going to conclude this morning by talking about spiritual warfare let me begin in, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6 to remind you of the, the context in which the verses we're looking at this morning occur. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can ex extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then verse 17 that we'll be looking at together this morning. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, I just echo the prayers that have already been prayed this morning first for our veterans, for those who've served in uniform. And Father, we know that our ability to stand here, my ability to stand here this morning and proclaim your word is, is in many ways dependent upon their sacrifices that they've made. Some have sacrifice of, of years of their lives, some of their very lives. And so, Father, we are, are mindful of our our debt that cannot be repaid to, to these men and, and women who have, have served in, in our military. And, and Father, we also pray this morning for the orphan. It's overwhelming to think about this need. It's overwhelming to think about the tragic circumstances that surround many of these orphans. And so, Father, equip our church to begin to, to reach and, and supply the, the things that, that these orphans need. And most importantly, their need for a relationship with with you through faith in your son Jesus and equip us as we pray. And now, Father, equip us as we come to your word, as we study it more closely. Help me to, as, as Paul says here, to pray that you give me words from my mouth and help me to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel and speak as I ought to speak. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. James Montgomery Boyce, as he is writing on the verses that we're talking about this morning, says that the theme of these verses reminds him of the Song of Roland. The Song of Roland is a very old work in French literature. In the story of the Song of Roland, it's kind of a, a fictional account of Charlemagne's reign and things that took place in the 8th century. In this story, Charlemagne has, has been in Spain conducting campaigns, these war campaigns, and he has been very successful. In fact, only one king remains that he needs to conquer, King Marcel of Saragonza. And King Marcel is a tricky guy, and he sends messengers to, to Charlemagne and says that he would like to draw up terms of peace. He wishes to convert to Christianity and come to peace with Charlemagne. And so in this fictional account, the Song of Roland, Charlemagne and his forces arrive there, and they come to terms of, of peace with King Marcel, and then they begin to leave Spain and, and enter back into France. But it's a trap. At the very rear of Charlemagne's forces is a man named Roland, and Roland is a, a great warrior. And he is in charge of the rear guard, a, a force of some 20,000 men. And as the rest of Charlemagne's forces go through this narrow pass and begin to enter back into France, Roland and his 20,000 men are, are in the very back of that procession. They begin to enter this pass, and as they do so, suddenly they are surrounded by 400,000 of King Marcel's men. Roland's most trusted advisor assesses the situation, and he, he tells Roland, look, this is what we need to do. Quickly, 
sound the horn, let Charlemagne know of the circumstances in which we're in, that we're facing this sizable force, and allow him to send reinforcements so that we can survive this and defeat the enemy. And Roland, in his pride, refuses. And he and his 20,000 men begin to defend themselves and ultimately are unsuccessful. Only at the last moment does he blow his horn far too late for the reinforcements to arrive in order to save them, only in time for Charlemagne to come and exact vengeance, which he does. Roland, because he was too proud, too ignorant, decided decided to, to fight this battle on his own, and because he decided to fight this battle on his own, help from a superior force did not arrive, and he was unable to defend himself and his men, and they were utterly defeated. This morning, we're looking at at prayer. And as we've gone through this this part of Ephesians dealing with spiritual warfare, what we've seen is that there is a a real war going on. We're facing this this real enemy. We're engaged in in a real struggle. And we've also seen, we saw this two weeks ago, that God has equipped us with armor. He's equipped us with those tools that we need to defend ourselves and and to stand firm. And what we're going to see this morning is that God calls upon us to call upon him because we face an enemy who is far more powerful, far more intelligent, far more mighty than we are, an enemy that we have no hope in and of ourselves of standing up against. And so God calls us to be empowered through prayer, through calling out, crying out to him, and asking for his divine aid. You and I have no hope, no ability of withstanding the enemy on our own. But the great news in this part of Ephesians and throughout Scripture is that we have at our disposal a great God who is far more powerful far more intelligent, far more mighty than the enemy we face. And his reinforcements, his his empowering strength can equip us to stand firm as he calls us to do in these verses. D.A. Carson wrote a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And in this book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he talks about the different challenges facing the church today. He says, you know, we we have a, a, and he asks the question, what is the greatest need of the church today? He says, is the greatest need of the church to to repent of of sexual immorality? And he he talks about the pervasiveness of sexual immorality in the church. He says, or is the greatest need of the church to repent of the sin of materialism? He, He talks about all the different ways in which the church struggles with materialism. And what he says is he doesn't believe that either of those are the greatest need of the church. What he says is the greatest need of the church, and and I would agree with him, the greatest need of the church is to know God more deeply. And one of the ways in which we come to know God more deeply and indeed demonstrate that we know God is through prayer. D.A. Carson writes this. He says, can we profitably meet the other challenges that confront the church if prayer is ignored as much as it has been. What 
the central idea of what we're going to look at this morning is, is, is this. God's soldier saints must pray at all times, in all ways, with all perseverance for all the saints. And if you're keeping notes this morning, that, that's the outline. We're going to see that, that we're to pray at all times, we're to pray in all ways, we're to pray with all perseverance, and we're to pray for all the saints. God has called us to engage the enemy defensively, to stand firm, and the way in which we engage the enemy and stand firm is through the empowering work of God as we pray. How important is prayer? We're to pray at all times. We're to pray in all ways. We're to pray with all perseverance. We're to pray for all the saints. Let's first look at this idea that we're to pray at all times. And look at verse 17 and 18. Paul says this, Take the helmet of salvation, take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, okay? Well, let's look at verse 18, and then we'll see how verse 18 ties back into verse 17. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And when he says in the Spirit, what he's saying there is not the Spirit is some sort of magical formula you pray. It's not like saying, well, or some people have this wrong idea as well, that if you pray in Jesus' name, it's like this magic, these magic words you can say, and God suddenly has to, to do whatever it is that you ask of him. That's, that's not what he's saying. Praying in the Spirit isn't some sort of magical incantation that you pray that God has to answer those prayers. Uh, praying in the Spirit, just as praying in Jesus' name, uh, means to go to God's Word, to understand His character, what His desires are, and then through the leading of the Holy Spirit as He indwells you to, to pray those things are in accordance with what God desires. And the great challenge of a believer is to, to pray in the Spirit and to know what God desires and to pray in accordance with those things. Now, I've made myself a promise uh, a couple weeks ago. I promise not to use a lot of marathon illustrations, okay? Because what I've noticed is that, you know, these guys run these marathons, and all of a sudden, you know, illustration, every illustration about perseverance somehow involves the fact that they ran a marathon, okay? So uh, this, is my, this is my gimme, okay? This is my one. Whitney and I were running this marathon, and we really needed perseverance. No, uh, we were running this marathon, right, a few weeks ago, and, and we were on mile 19 or 20, Okay, at mile 19 or 20, you start questioning your sanity, and, or mile 5. And, and then uh, as we were running a mile 19 or 20, we were right next to this church. We passed this church, and this lady outside of this church had a great big cardboard sign. And on the cardboard sign, it said, you are anointed to finish. And I thought, well, that's very presumptuous, Right? That guy over there, I think he's like anointed to faint here or end up in a hospital. I'm not confident that I'm anointed to, to, to finish. What it is, it's, it's a presumption upon what God's desires and will is. And in, in running a marathon, I think all of us have to admit a little bit of the mystery of God's will in that circumstance, right? Praying in the Spirit says, look, I know what God's desires are. I know what his will for my life is. I've gone to his word, and, and now I'm, I'm being directed, and I'm praying that God would lead me in, in his spirit that indwells me so that I'd pray things that are in accordance with his will, not that I would, would uh, command him to some sort, somehow exercise my will. He says, pray at all times in the spirit. Now, the verse right before that, he's talking about taking up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And here's how I think that these two things are related. He says, Pray at all times, and one of the all times we're to be praying 
is when we take up the armor of God, specifically these last two elements of the armor of God. He says, uh, taking up the helmet of salvation, and a helmet that a Roman soldier would wear would like be this, this brass helmet that you know, covers the cheekbones, and he says it's the helmet of salvation. And when he, has, when he says salvation there, I don't believe that he's talking about our ultimate salvation, our deliverance from God's final judgment. I think he's talking about salvation in a way similarly to some themes that he's already presented in Ephesians, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about salvation in this sense, deliverance from the immediate power and the immediate effects of sin. You and I have been saved from the immediate power of sin in our lives. Sometimes sin can feel like this, this overwhelming force in our lives, and, and maybe uh, we're, we're talking to our employer, and our employer uh, is asking us some questions about some work we haven't done, and the temptation in that, in that circumstance is, is to lie and, and make up excuses for why it didn't get done, and it can feel very overwhelming, and, and yet the helmet of salvation, God's deliverance from the power of sin, says, no, I can honor God in this circumstance. If this is the way that God calls me to live and, and I'm tempted to, to stray from that path, I can be confident, be confident because of the helmet of salvation, God's deliverance from sin, that I can walk in the right way. I don't have to, to believe that, that the sin of immorality is a, a sin that I can't escape or the sin of, of deception, the sin of gossip, or any of these sins, I have the helmet of salvation, I'm, I'm confident that God can give me the power to be delivered from that sin. Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. As I am aware of the power of sin in my life, I'm, I'm praying and all simultaneously aware that God's salvation offers me deliverance from that sin. He also says, and, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword that he's talking about here was really like a, a dagger, a very short sword. And this sword, Paul says, is, is owned by the Spirit. It's, it's the Spirit's sword, and it means the Word of God. And we spent last week talking about the Word of God extensively. You know that a person who does not take up the Word of God in order to confront the circumstances in their life is a person who's in grave danger. So Paul says, take up these last two elements of of God's armor, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and as you take these things up, what are you to do? You are to pray. Pray as you take these elements of God's armor up. Pray as you take the other elements of God's armor up. Indeed, he says, pray at all times. Pray at all times. There's never a, a wrong time to pray. I believe that our natural inclination, our, our natural temptation is not to pray at all times, but to never pray, right? And it could be a, a variety of different excuses. Too busy right now to pray, or I'm not busy enough, and I lose, I, I don't, I'm not disciplined enough because I don't have enough going on, or things are going really badly right now, and I'm too discouraged to pray, or, or sometimes, and I believe that a lot of us find ourselves in this situation, Things are going so well that we don't recognize our need to cry out to God. 
Remember three weeks ago as we talked about spiritual warfare, my main idea, the, the main point I believe of Paul's text there was just to understand the reality of spiritual war- warfare. And sometimes in our North American culture, we're so prosperous, we're doing so well, we don't recognize the spiritual battle around us. We don't recognize the vital necessity of prayer. Wednesday, I was having lunch with, with Pat Emmert. You may remember Pat Emmert. He spoke at our, our church a few months ago. It was in September. And Pat and his wife are, are headed to the Middle East. And I have a great, a great love and a great respect for the work that Pat and his wife Rachel desire to be engaged in. Pat is a person who's always been a pretty intense dude, okay? Even before he was called into mission work, I mean, just talking to him, the guy was intense about his faith. He was a person that really recognized the reality of of spiritual warfare and and the need to to truly be sold out to God. And whenever a guy like that gets called into the the mission field, I want to be a part of it, you know? I want to feel like I'm participating in that work that he's going to be doing because I know it's going to be a pretty awesome work. So anyway, we're having lunch, and uh, I'm asking him questions about how, you know, how's support raising going? That's a great challenge for any missionaries who are getting ready to go on the field. And so I'm, I'm asking, how's, the, how's the, the, the support raising going? And he tells me, you know, it's going okay. Have a, have a great need still, but we're confident that God's going to provide for those things. And we began to a- talk about aspects of his, of his uh, support. He mentioned that uh, the missions committee is... is set an amount that they believe that he needs to raise in order to, to have a retirement account, and it's a very modest amount. And I said, well, do you think that that's enough? Is that going to provide for you? And then Pat said this. He said, well, no, I think that's going to be fine, and, and, you know, it'd be nice if someday I could return to the States and maybe have grandkids there and, and tell them amazing stories of, of awesome things that God had done on the mission field. He said, but at the same time, the same time, Rachel and I recognize this. We may die over there before we hit retirement age. He didn't say it melodramatically. He didn't say it like a, a person seeking martyrdom. He said it matter-of-factly. And he's right. God has called Pat and Rachel to a dangerous ministry. When he said those words to me, it's like, it's like he had slapped me. And the scales were, were knocked right off my eyes, and I was aware again of the fact that we're engaged in this spiritual battle. And a person that's engaged in a spiritual battle understands that there are casualties in any war. And a person who's engaged in spiritual battle or understands that they're engaged in a spiritual battle is a person who's what? Praying at all times. They understand the vital necessity of prayer as they understand that, that they're engaged in warfare. And a person, a person who's not engaged in warfare is an ignorant person. A person ignorant of the battle in which they're engaged. Pray at all times, Paul says here in verses 17 and 18. Secondly, 
pray in all ways. Paul says this. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The idea there is that there's a variety of ways that a person who's engaged in prayer is going to be, to be praying. A passionate prayer warriors express their prayers in a variety of ways. I don't know if this is true of you, but it's certainly true of me. I'm a person that, that gets into ruts, and I'm very comfortable in the ruts in which I get. There are times in your life that forces come along that just kind of, just kind of jolt you out of that rut in which you find yourself in. Marriage is a great jolt, okay? And you, you may be a, a single person, you're living a, a certain way, and, and there's this great jolt, and, and suddenly you're not in your rut anymore. You're in someone else's rut, and it's a much better rut, but still, it's not your old rut, okay? There are times in your life that, that certain events shake you out of the rut in which you find yourself. Say that you're upstairs and Let's say, you're, let's say you're a student in your, in your dorm room and you're studying. You have a certain routine, what you study, which books you study first. And maybe I'm being a little idealistic here. Um, you have this goal of being in a rut of studying, all right? You have this rut of television watching. And uh, this show comes on and this show. And let's say that you hear this, this great noise, a scream down the hall. Something jolts you out of that routine in which you're, you find yourself in and, and you go and you, you do something different. I don't know about you, but oftentimes my, my prayer life is, is in this rut. And it's not the passionate prayer of a person who's engaged in spiritual warfare. It's the prayer of an ignorant person who doesn't understand the battle raging around them. We get into these, these ruts and we, we fail to understand the type of prayer that God calls us to. The, in Scripture, over and over again, we see God's people, or people that, that are praying out to God, engaged in a much different kind of prayer. They're praying in a variety of ways. And they aren't these casual prayers, uh, now I lay thee down to sleep, I, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. Amen, climb into bed. They are passionate prayers of people who understand the desperation around them. In the book of Judges, there's this phrase that occurs over and over again. It says the people cry out to God for deliverance. What happens in the book of Judges is this. You have this cycle. The people get engaged in, in sin. And as they get engaged in sin, the God, God sends oppressors to oppress them. And, and as they're oppressed in that, in that moment of pain and affliction, the people cry out, God, help us. And God sends deliverance. In the book of 1 Samuel, you have uh, the godly woman Hannah. And Hannah, in her pain and in her anguish, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she was deeply distressed and she prayed to God and she wept bitterly. She's crying out to God as, she, as she's literally crying, tears streaming down her face. She also prays this way in verse 13. She's speaking in her heart, only her lips are moving, her voice is not heard. She's praying in a variety of ways. It's not this, this rope prayer that she's praying. She's deeply affected by the issues that concern her, and it expresses herself, ex itself in her prayer life. Hezekiah in, first, in 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah has received this letter from his enemy. He's, it looks like they're going to be overrun. He takes this letter, and in Hezekiah 19, he, he, he lays it out before the Lord. It says, God, deal with this. I can't. I'm powerless. For the sake of the glory of your name, deal with this situation. And God does. 
And in 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah prays in a different way. 19, he's praying in the temple. Hezekiah is praying in his bed in 2 Kings chapter 20. He's told that he's about to die. He turns over, faces the wall, and prays out to God, and God delivers him. Daniel prays alone in his room. Jesus, Jesus tells us about the prayer of, of the tax collector. The prayer of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, you have this tax collector standing in the temple. He, he beats his breast. He won't even look up to heaven, and he cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In Scripture, people who pray are praying prayers of passionate desperation. They're pleading with God. That's what he's, Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. There's a variety of ways that a person who understands the importance of prayer is going to pray. Imagine, imagine you have a child who's very sick. And in your neighborhood, there's a doctor who has the ability to heal your child. How are you going to interact with that doctor? Are you going to send him an email? Hey, doc, I have a sick kid. Heard you could help. You know, talk to you later. D. Then later, you're like, oh, you know what? I haven't. I emailed a guy a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't really thought about that since. I should probably, well, I'm kind of busy today. I should probably get a hold of him eventually, though. No, if you have this child who's, who's gravely ill, and there's a doctor over here who can heal him, what are you going to do? It might start off with an email, but it's going to end with me banging on his door. Hey, buddy, help me. Please, just hear me out. It's the intense, passionate prayer of a person who is moved by understanding the circumstances in which they're in that cry out to God in a variety of ways. Our community right now, our community is well aware, those of us who live in Washington, I hope you're aware of this little boy, Dax community has been asked to, to decorate our, our homes for Dax because it's a possibility that, that Dax, will, unless God divinely intervenes, will not, uh, perhaps will not live till, till Christmas. Now, when I got that email this week, early this week, and realized the situation in which Dax finds himself, I didn't wait till nightly prayer time to lift Dacks up before the Lord. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I cried as I thought about the situation in which this family finds themselves in and, and just begged God to, to, to grant peace to that family and, 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 and healing to Dax. That night when I went home and I, I talked to Whitney about, I would forwarded her the email and, and we began to just talk about it and she told me, you know what, I couldn't even tell my sister the story on the phone because I was crying. Look, the passionate prayer of a person who understands spiritual warfare is going to be like that. And sometimes it's going to be, it's going to be praying at, at night 
with your kids. Sometimes it's, it's going to be praying in a Sunday school class, but sometimes there's going to be weeping in your prayer. Sometimes there's going to be just, just beseeching God, saying, God, I don't understand this circumstance. I don't understand why you're doing this, and yet, God, I trust in your sovereign power, and I'm pleading with you, my sovereign king, help me stand firm. Because as I encounter this circumstance, I'm doubting, I'm fearful, I'm whatever. God, help me stand firm. We pray in a variety of ways. Not casual entreaties, but the application is this. We pray the passionate prayer of the warrior. We feel the the heat of the flames in, in battle as we engage in prayer, praying in all ways. We also Verse 18, look at the text here. We also pray with all perseverance. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. The idea there is that a person who's praying with all perseverance, a person who's alert, not letting down their guard at any moment, they're, they're aware in all circumstances. A person who's, a, who's praying with perseverance is a person who can survey the spiritual landscape around them and say, look, there's where the need is, there's where the need is, there's the need. I'm going to pray at all times and all ways as I, I look and I, I'm going to constantly do it. I'm not letting down my guard for a moment. A good general can survey the battlefield and he doesn't wait until his forces are being overrun in an area before he sends reinforcements. He surveys the battle and is constantly thinking about how to defend and attack. When I was in sixth grade, there was a, a janitor at our elementary school who was just a, a brilliant man. His name was Solomon. And he w- I knew how to play chess, but I, I had no idea how to really play chess. And so what he would do is he'd, he'd sit down with me before school or after school, and, and we'd play chess together. And Solomon, uh, he was kind of a a very gentle guy, but when he played chess, he was a ruthless man, okay? Even on me, a poor little sixth grader, okay? Went home crying sometimes, no. But he wouldn't, what I would used to do is, is I'd take the little chess pieces and I'd kind of move them around and try a couple things out and, okay, now I'm ready to make my turn and I'd, I'd move my piece. He said, you can't, don't touch the pieces. He says, you may not touch any of the pieces and you may not touch a piece until you've determined for sure that that's the piece you're going to move. He forced me to, to think ahead and taught me how to you know, think I had one move and then two moves and three moves and, and, and understand all the different circumstances. A believer who's a good prayer warrior is a believer who has the ability of a good chess player, right? We don't wait, we shouldn't wait until our, our children are, have turned away from the Lord or in, or in grave danger before we start praying for them. What we do is we look at God's word we see how a child is to conduct themselves, how an adult is to conduct ourselves. We look at our child's life and we say, God, I'm seeing some signs here. I'm seeing some signs. Help them. Help them in this area. We look at our coworker and we don't wait until our coworker tells us, hey, I'm, I'm, my marriage is over, I'm getting a divorce, and I'm, I'm leaving my wife. We listen to their speech. We see some warning signs and we begin to intensely pray for them in those areas. We're praying with all perseverance. If, if our wife is, is struggling in an area, we don't wait until it gets out of control. We say, look, I, I just see some, some, some sadness here, and I, God, help her in this area. Our, our, our husbands, we don't wait until they've, they've had a, a breakdown at work before we start praying for them. We're constantly praying, keeping alert, aware of the circumstances of the people in our lives. 
praying the passionate prayer of a warrior with, with perseverance, not letting the enemy wreak havoc in others' lives first. So we pray with all, at all times, we pray in all ways, we pray with all perseverance, and finally we pray for all the saints. Paul says this in verse 19, and all, then in verse 18, making supplication for all the saints. It's everybody. And then secondly, secondly, he says, now here's, here's one of the saints that you can pray for. Also, for me. That's his practical application of praying for all the saints. He says, pray for me personally. Two prayer requests that Paul gives here for himself. He says, pray for me, first of all, that, that, may, that words may be given to me and and opening my mouth, he's praying there for clarity. Paul is presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so easily distorted. A person who's going to proclaim it needs to be able to, to proclaim it accurately and, and have great articulation of the central truths of Christianity. Remember one of the, one of the issues that Paul struggled with, Paul struggled with, with people distorting the gospel, saying that he had to combine works with grace. And, and so Paul needed God's wisdom God's ability to, to carefully articulate the message that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Some would say faith comes in Jesus Christ and then add some things on the end of that. Paul needs to be able to clearly articulate, look, faith comes through Jesus Christ alone, and, and here's why. And so Paul prays, says, pray for me as I share that message. And of course, we could apply that prayer to all of us. So first of all, he prays for clarity. The second thing we see that he prays for here, or asks them to pray for him here, is boldness. He says, words that may be given to me in my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And it's not like he hadn't been bold already. Verse 20 says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And if Paul, if Paul needed prayer for boldness as he is in chains for sharing the gospel, do you think that we might need God's boldness as well? Paul says this, pray. As you recognize the battle in which you're engaged, pray. Pray at all times, pray in all ways, pray with all perseverance, pray for all the saints. I want you to do something. If you're taking notes, or if you're pretending to take notes, uh, turn on the, the back. I wasn't taking notes during this whole time. Uh, turn on the back of your page, and what you see there are some thoughts regarding praying for one another from Ephesians. If you remember, there have been several times that we've gotten together on Sunday mornings going through the book of Ephesians where we've seen Paul discuss prayer. And I'd encourage you this week, what I'm going to do Hopefully what I'm going to do, if I don't forget, I often forget things that I do at the very end of the service. At the very end of the service, after we've sung the last song, I'm going to ask you to get the name, if you're comfortable doing this, and if you're not, pretend like you're comfortable doing this and do it anyway. I'm going to ask you to get the name of, of a person around you that's not a member of your immediate family. And just kind of write their name on this piece of paper. And then this week, pray some of these things for them. As we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we've seen that we're to, to thank God for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, for, and the love for each other. And so let's say that I, I took uh, Eric's name down. I, I say, God, thank you for Eric. Thank you for his faith in Jesus Christ. You pray that God would grant that person divine wisdom and knowledge. I encourage you to read the text again as, as you pray these things as well. So you go back to chapter 1. 
And you, 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 I would pray for Eric. God, give Eric divine wisdom and knowledge. Help him to know the hope of your calling. In other words, help him be, be eternally focused and help him not get weighed down with the things of this world. Help him to know the riches of your inheritance. Help him to be, to be focused on the glory that awaits him, the, the riches of, of him being your inheritance. And help him to know the greatness of your power. Then I would I'd go to chapter 3 and I'd pray that Eric would be strengthened. Then I'd come back here to chapter 6 and I would be mindful personally to pray with the intensity of a passionate warrior. Many of you, as we think about concluding this section of Ephesians, many of you have probably heard of the, the Battle of Thermopylae. Took place as this as this group of three hundred Spartans and some other soldiers, fourth century BC, bravely, bravely protected this 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 pass as the, the Persian army overran them. God calls us like this well trained army to to stand firm, to stand firm. God's soldier saints must, must pray at all times and all ways and all perseverance for all the saints. It begins with us. N- Acknowledging, understanding, look, we're engaged in this, in this real battle. There are real casualties in this real battle, and, and I must be prepared to stand firm against an enemy that desires to destroy me, desires, desires to destroy my family, desires to destroy the fellow saints in my church. I must realize that there is a, a real battle. We saw that three weeks ago. It continues as I begin to equip myself with the armor with which God has supplied me, but that is not enough in and of itself. The armor is not this magic armor that we simply take upon ourselves and it does the fighting for us. We must be divinely empowered with a strength that only God can provide. In our arrogance, we must not believe that we can fight this battle ourselves. We must sound that horn of alarm, beseeching God, crying out to God, at all times, and always, with all perseverance, for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tool of prayer that enables us to cry out to you for your divine aid. Father, we are not able to stand against our enemy, so give us the ability to do so. Help us to persevere in our salvation that you have so graciously given us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.